guns and money. Welcome, everyone, to a special episode of Conduct Detrimental, episode 71. This is Dan Lust. You'll recognize my voice, but joining me tonight is not Dan Wallach. We have Mike Lawson, social media guru extraordinaire who runs the Conduct Detrimental account. You will remember Mike joined our podcast maybe uh, 10 episodes ago, and uh, he was in the middle of bar prep. And Mike has some special news. So, Mike, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let you tell everybody what the special news might be. Thanks, Dan. It's nice to be here. Uh, I am the voice behind the funny gifts and back and forth that we have on Twitter. And I had some exciting news that I passed the bar, uh, the New York State bar exam. So before we had the episode where I was talking about my experience and, and now today the news came out, I successfully have passed the New York State bar exam. It is a big thing. But Mike, listen, you, you obviously had a lot of hard questions on the test. Fortunately, they didn't ask you how to pronunciate the word GIF because you just failed that part of the exam. Um, GIF is peanut butter. GIF is the, the picture. Yeah, no, we can not, about that. I mean, it's, it's not. I had a friend who will remain nameless. I'm not sure if he's listening to this, but he thought the word meme was pronounced Mimi. And this was like very recently. So you never know. You never know. So Mike, big congrats to you. Dan uh, is on a very important assignment. So we thought, uh, of all things, it was a good night to get you back in the mix. So that said, uh, you know, we we have a interesting a lot of sports news in the past uh, week or so. We have kind of a loaded docket, so I guess we can we can kind of jump right into the to the roadmap, Mike, and, and uh, we'll you know we'll, we'll go uh, we'll say in order of. Uh, you know, uh, social media importance. Number one, we're going to talk about the James Harden impending breach and the overall situation, you know, from Harden traveling uh, coast to coast from Atlanta to Vegas, breaking uh, NBA pro- COVID protocol, uh, demanding a trade from the Rockets, you know, and then, uh, you know, I, I obviously I had some fun with it, but the, the photo of James Harden on social media looking like he was very much out of shape. You know, obviously those are all elements that that could be uh, involved in a, in a breach of his contract. So we're going to talk about that and, uh, you know, where that goes from there on the basketball level. Number two, really the big news that happened today, we're recording this on, on Wednesday, uh, December 16th, the United States Supreme Court has announced that they're going to uh, have a sports law case. And Mike's going to get into that. Mike, you wrote a note on the on the case, on the Olsen case? Uh, just, yeah, a little research paper for one of my externships. A little research paper for one of his externships. Like, okay, not everybody writes research papers for their externships, so it's kind of a big deal. So we'll, we'll get into that, Mike, is the other reason that Mike's on today. Supreme Court is obviously going to be talking and really ruling on antitrust law for college sports. So something that everyone needs to be paying attention to as much as they're paying attention to just the normal name, image, and likeness issue. Number three, we spent a lot of time on this podcast over the summer talking about the Washington football team. Now we have the Cleveland, uh, maybe the Cleveland baseball team, the Cleveland Indians no more. They've announced the name change. It's a matter of what it is, so we'll get into that Trademark issues. Number four, we're going to talk a little bit about boxing. We're going to talk about Logan Paul, Jake Paul, a uh, little Floyd Mayweather, a little Conor McGregor. Talk about the negotiations going on there. And number five, last but not least, so unfortunately we don't have Dan here to talk about this, but the New York Rangers, we get some hockey news. We're going to mix it up a little bit. Mark Messier involved in a lawsuit with, uh, of all things, a, a failed cannabis adventure. So, uh, you know, interesting. We got a lot of interesting topics. So, Mike, that said, let us start in the world of the National Basketball Association, James Harden. For those uh, that maybe are not as familiar with James Harden, James Harden is, I want to say, like the Dan Marino of the NBA. He's got all the re- all the you know points. He's getting all, you know, he's they made the team really around him. So Harden uh, used to be part of the big three win uh, in Oklahoma City with uh, Durant and Russell Westbrook. Uh, Sixth man of the year. 
sixth man of the year. I think he was another third overall pick. I think he went to Arizona State. He used to have this like, he was like kind of have like a little weird face, but then he got the beard in. You know, now he's the beard and now he's a big deal in Houston. So over the years, they've uh, really built a team around him in Houston, literally listening to trade demands that he wanted about bringing players in. So Houston uh, seems to be a team on the decline. So even though Harden has three years left on his contract, He's demanded a trade. He's announced that he'd be willing to go to the 76ers for a uh, reunion with his old GM, Daryl Morey. Uh, he's willing to go to the Bucks to play with Giannis, uh, even though those guys have their own uh, storied history between them. But it's basically a player who is saying, hey, I want out, but he's under contract for three more years. So we can get into the, the nuances, which we will. But Mike, let me let me just toss it to you on this. We, we've never really seen a superstar be held in breach of contract for demanding a trade, but I uh, I mean, this is not like an Anthony Davis situation where there's a rental player, right? There's one year left in his contract. This is a guy with three years left. What, what do you think the, the Harden situation differs from what we've seen in, in years past with superstars demanding a trade out of town? Oh, gosh. I mean, if we're sticking to the NBA with demanding trades, I mean, you, you've got to go back to, I think, the generation that maybe LeBron started. I mean, you've got some – the whole NBA now is built around – I want to go somewhere where I can win. And I think that's now either demanding a trade or having a free agency where there's this big decision about where they're supposed to go. And then you have the issues of like Durant going to the team that he lost to in the playoffs before and the fights with that. You have the decision with ESPN and LeBron going to Miami and, and then going back to Cleveland. You know, I mean, it, there's just new, it's a new generation of basketball players. I mean, I, social media doesn't help. I feel like this would have made things worse if this was back in the Jordan era or even earlier. But I, I think... Harden has really stuck himself into this. He's a niche basketball player where he is the step back king, right? He's created this, you know, travel, if you will, step back three pointer. And he's made himself into this great player coming out of Oklahoma city, where if he had stayed there, maybe Oklahoma would have been a powerhouse and they kind of fell apart, ends up in Houston. He runs the show in Houston. They actually gained some good players. Clint Capella was one of the best big men. Now Westbrook came in, Westbrook's out. I mean, Chris Paul is one of the, probably the greatest point guards of this, of this generation of the two thousands. And, and he came, you know, he came in. I think you just said point guard. I feel like you meant to say point God, but keep going. Point God, exactly. So you have, you have Harden now where he's built the team around him. Then he's lost the team around him. I mean, I think he's, right to demand a trade i mean he's there's just about nothing that he can do with houston now and i think if we're going to start talking about predictions because dan wallach is the god of predictions on this show i'm going to say he's going to end up in milwaukee that's that is my prediction and i say you know him and him and Giannis. i, I can see the, the the tension that there is but that's where he's going to go so I heard a fun story. So I, uh, we've talked about this in the podcast. I love listening to uh, the NBA Ringer show. I think it's great. There's a show called The Mismatch. You know, they, I didn't realize there was such a history between them, but I guess it goes back. Giannis was the captain of the All-Star team. He didn't draft Harden. And he basically said that their strategy on the All-Star team was to give the ball to whoever James Harden was guarding, which is not not really a, uh, not a very subtle shot. So they definitely have a history. So Mike, I'll I'll take the odds that they're not. He's not going to go to Milwaukee anytime soon, especially we didn't. It's not on the docket, but with Giannis signing that that monster contract, uh, they are basically giving him the the keys to the franchise. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I think on a, on the, the the legal level with Harden, kind of have to keep in mind, and I and I kind of you know made light of this on on social media, but like 
James Harden, the uniform player contract, we're not, we don't know what the actual specifics of Harden's contract say, but he has to give his best efforts to the team. There's no clause that actually says best efforts, but he has to keep himself in, in good physical condition. There's a, a clause which is not going to come into play here by any means, but uh, it came up in the Dion Waiter situation last year. Number six, uh, paragraph 16 of the uniform player contract basically says the team may terminate this contract upon written notice to the player. If at any time the player shall fail, refuse, or neglect to conform his uh, personal conduct to standards of good citizenship, good moral character, and good sportsmanship, defined here to mean not engaging in actual moral turpitude. So, you know, I, I'm not obviously by any means inclining that, uh, that the Harden's doing anything illicit. But there have been players in the history of sports, Terrell Owens being one that I grew up with, where he was fined for conduct detrimental to the team. He was not, you know, I'm saying the name of the podcast, Mike, this is, we had a sound effect, it would go off. Put a quarter in. Yeah, that's not a bad thing to say the name of the podcast. That's a good thing. We could just, you know, name brand. But I I think they're hard in sending very, very thinly veiled signals that he wants out of town. He's going to make their life very difficult. You know, um, and I mentioned this, there was a period of time, I think it was the last week of November, uh, heading into December, where NBA players had to basically self-quarantine and not leave their home unless it was uh, something uh, absolutely essential. So leaving, dropping the kids off to school, going to the grocery store, that's what NBA protocol entailed. Meanwhile, James Harden is not, not just, it's not paparazzi. James Harden is posting to his own Instagram that he's out with, you know, little baby at, at a party and, you know, uh, they're at a club without masks. So, you know, again, whatever you think about the virus is one thing. Those are the NBA rules. The NBA rules say you can't do that. So for Harden to return to camp, he just played in his first action. Harden was required to get six negative tests back to back to back to back to back to back. I think that was the right amount of facts. But that's, you know, and he came to camp and I I made fun of the picture. I think social media had a lot of fun with it. But Harden, you know, maybe he's not as, (laughs) he's not, doesn't look exactly like Rick Ross, but he's a little bigger than he normally looks. And you can't tell me that that's a guy that's been uh, in peak physical condition at this point. So, yeah, I I think he's trending towards an area where maybe he's not necessarily a breach, Mike, but he's showing that he's going to be difficult in in a locker room. And if Mike, if you're the Philadelphia 76ers and there's been reports that a trade for Ben Simmons has been offered Ben Simmons and and three first round draft picks in exchange for, uh, you know, Harden, if I'm the Sixers, maybe I'd consider that deal a little bit more. If Harden's not out here being very difficult. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, do, do you think there's there's any chance, Mike, that the NBA steps in here and maybe says that the, there should be some type of punishment for a player giving the wrong type of uh, message? Before I, I make a comment about the Sixers thing, if you think about the NBA, their whole setup with the NBA bubble was, was just to protect the sport. No fans, everybody played in the same arena. Nobody's allowed to leave. And there was issues with that where, where they were apparently players leaving the bubble or sneaking people in. We, you guys talked about that on previous episodes. So the NBA is very strict on a lot of these rules and just because it's the off season now, maybe Harden thinks he can get away with it. I don't know. Posting on social media, maybe that's just a, a Freudian slip of of his Twitter hands while he's, I don't know, maybe a little integrated. Oh, so that was by accident. Oh, understood. Exactly. You're right. Unintentionally intentional, maybe. I mean, he's clearly showing a lot of detrimental conduct to the team by showing that he doesn't want to be with them. Now, as a 76er fan, if he wants to come to the Sixers, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't take the trade with Ben Simmons. I mean, the Sixers have been trusting the process for God knows how long. I mean, you got to just trust it until it dies. That's the Philly way. But I think I think with the way that Harden is trending, yeah, I can totally see some sort of NBA action. I mean, Adam I'm sober might step in and say, hey, you need to you need to shape up here because 
we're going to get back into this bubble. And if you're going to do these things that were, are not just detrimental to the, the Rockets health and safety, but now everybody that you play against, now you're getting into a Rudy Gobert situation where he's touching all the mics during a press conference, <laughs> even though that was in jest, but he ended up actually having COVID. So if you, you look at it that way, Harden's being a lot more, I don't want to say deviant, but he, he's being a lot more, you know, risky to just the general safety of the NBA. So, I mean, yes, I could totally see the NBA stepping in. Okay. So I guess twofold. I, I don't think we could compare him to Rudy Gobert who, you know, Rudy Gobert, at least March 11th, didn't really, we didn't know what COVID was. It was, it was all kind of uh, funny games, but yeah, I, I think the reason I bring up NBA stepping in uh, and then we'll, you know, we'll move on, but you know, the, the point is the Rockets can't find him for doing what he's doing. And again, like, let me, let me take a step back. Harden last night looked pretty good. So let's, let's see, you know, maybe that's Harden. Maybe, but maybe the clock is ticking. Maybe he goes, I'm going to show up well in the preseason, but I want to be traded before the season starts. So I, I do think this is a ticking time bomb situation, but the reason that the NBA may need to step in, and at least as, as has been reported, teams were telling the NBA to step in because it was a blatant violation of COVID protocol, which you can't, you can't have. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's been a report that, that uh, Harden is, at least at one point was using a plane to fly to Vegas uh, between night games and private jet. So uh, we'll see what Harden does. We'll see if, and I, I just don't think he can get away with that in this founding year in Houston. So let us transition Mike to uh, the big story of today on Wednesday, again, December 16th, Supreme court of the United States for the first time, Mike in three decades is addressing the law of college sports. So this is, this is a very, very big deal. I don't think uh, people may have understood this. You know, we, we talk about, whether issues will go up to the Supreme Court a lot. And in, in law school, you know, whoever takes con law, we talk all about case that reach the Supreme Court, but it's a micro, micro fraction of cases that, that make it to that level. A lot of cases can ask, but they don't always get there. So the Supreme Court today announced that they're going to heal the appeal on the Alston case. And just so people kind of understand, and then Mike, uh, I'm going to turn it over to you because I know you know way more about this case than the uh, the average bear. Essentially, the NCA lost at the lower court level and they're bringing up an appeal and they're basically trying to say, what they're doing in terms of placing these limits on college athletes is not violative of an antitrust law. So they don't have an antitrust exemption like Major League Baseball does. So we really have to dig into the antitrust law here. So Mike, why don't you give us a, a brief background on the Alston case and where it was left at the intermediary level um, that the Supreme Court is now uh, going to weigh in? Where it was left off was the Ninth Circuit. And for college athletes, the Ninth Circuit is and for attorneys, for the legal sphere, the Ninth Circuit in California, well, doesn't just house California, but mainly coming out of California, that's where you want to be. If, if you if you want to win an NCAA case, you go to the Ninth Circuit because Judge Wilkin will hear it in California and you'll probably win because that's the, that's exactly what happened with O'Bannon and that happened with Alston. Judge Wilkin, I would say not to go too far, as she's an advocate for NCAA athletes, but if you read her opinions, you can see that the NCAA is just, just doesn't make any sense. So uh, Dan was right. I, I read, it was a 104 page case that came out of the ninth circuit. I believe it was last spring, 20, 2019. And basically what it was, it was a number of NCAA men's and women's basketball players, as well as FBS football student athletes. And they were challenging the NCAA rules that limit compensation that they can receive in exchange for athletics. So that's the whole name, image, and likeness of right into the sphere. O'Bannon was a little bit different because that was EA Sports and the, you know, the, the video games. That was that case. So Allison was the student athletes. They were arguing that the limits violate federal antitrust law because, you know, student athletes could get greater compensation in exchange for their athletic services, you know, comparing themselves to pro athletes or, or whatnot. 
basically, I think the biggest takeaway that I had from this case was Judge Wilkin was attacking the definitions that the NCAA was using, which I'm making hand motion because it was a, they, they used circular definitions is basically what she said. The NCAA is hiding behind this amateurism reasoning for not compensating student athletes, saying that because they're amateurs, they're not allowed to be paid. And then they define amateurs as student athletes who don't get paid. So how can you go on that reasoning alone just doesn't make any sense. And Judge Wilkin took issue with that reasoning, saying that you can't hide behind these circular definitions forever and that a student athlete being paid makes them not an amateur, which makes them not eligible. It, she, she, she didn't understand their reasoning, and rightfully so. And that's really where she, she hit home with and why Alston ruled the same way. So for the people that maybe aren't, maybe one L's or that aren't really lawyers, Mike's referring to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. So this case was at the trial court level, then it got to the intermediary level. So the Supreme Court didn't have to, by any means, accept the case on appeal. The case could have ended there. And if it did, you know, then maybe today would have been an even interesting day because they'd be held in violation of antitrust law as of today. But I think with the case of this magnitude, I think with all the federal attention that's being now paid to this issue of name image and likeness, I think reaches a, a very strong newsworthy level on, on the sports law landscape. We've spent I don't know, maybe, maybe over a year at this point since California Fair Pay to Play came into play, uh, no pun intended. But back in uh, November of 2019, California said they wanted to pay student athletes and then Florida passed their own laws and, and so on and so forth. So people have been asking for this, anti the NCAA has been anti asking for antitrust exemption. States are passing this different legislation across the country. The NCAA is kind of trying to come up with their, with their own payment bylaws. But at the end of the day, if the NCAA is violating antitrust law by, by even their current limits on student athletes, I don't even know if we need to jump through all these hoops, right? Like, I, I just don't think the NCAA is allowed to do what they're doing, even absent state law. I mean, is that is that how you view it, Mike? Yeah, yeah definitely. I feel like what what was happening was they were just trying to put as much pressure on the NCAA as possible to finally just amend their bylaws to have it effectuate payment for athletes. And they weren't saying necessarily like, because you're playing athletics for our team, you get paid. It's just these other opportunities that arise. Like the, I think there is a new lawsuit coming out where these two student athletes have a, a big following on Instagram and advertisers want to pay them, but they can't get paid because that that is in violation of the NCAA rules. So I definitely agree that there's just all of this pressure coming from a lot of different angles. Alston came down in the Ninth Circuit, uh, the Court of Appeals, and that was one angle of pressure. And then it was being lifted on appeal. And then you had SB, what was it, 206 coming out of California that put even more pressure on the NCAA because that actually put a, a, a timestamp being like, okay, this has to happen by, I think it was January of 2021. So it's like, this is going to happen. Then Florida was like, well, we want to be first. And then there was the fight between different state legislatures because of the recruitment advantage, well, right? Like if, yeah. So the one, one correction, California was 2023. Which was why, sorry. yeah, no, but it's the moot point because now California is trying to move up to 2021. Right. So that's, you're not, the date's not coming in out of nowhere. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting level. And I think Mike, you know, where, where this all kind of makes sense, we can all tie this together and you, you phrase it really appropriately. They're putting all this immense pressure on the NCAA and, you know, for better, or for worse, I think we were all operating in a gray zone, right? Like what really 
is preventing the, the NCA from paying their athletes. Well, the NCA says they shouldn't, and they say it's violative of antitrust law. It's because it's NCA is a private business at a, at a certain level, but obviously they're run by state institutions. So what what rules, right? Should the NCA's rules take over or should state state laws take over? So that's why it's imperative that the states were kind of forcing the issue. Now the Supreme Court's forcing the issue. So, you know, they're, they're really getting it from all levels of government. I mean, the only branch of government remaining is the president to weigh in. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm... Donald Trump was basically there when he was trying to force uh, college athletes back. So yeah, I, I think it's an interesting, uh, really interesting look. I mean, yeah, I think you and I would be, we'd be remiss if we made some type of prediction, but I, I think we probably, probably should. I mean, I, I just think, Mike, it, when we, we see a case like this go to the Supreme Court, there's been so much talk about whether athletes should get paid. And if you just read the pulse of the, the country, it's one of these topics, like we saw in California, that's a bipartisan issue. Republicans, Democrats, they believe that athletes should get paid. I don't mm-hmm. think you, you'll find anybody in this country that'll just say college athletes should not make a dime. Maybe some people will disagree as to the extent, like I, I believe it should be a true free market economy. I have no reason. Like if my daughter, Dylan, became like Miss, Mrs. Uh, Connecticut basketball and got recruited to UConn, like, well, why, why can't she make a million dollars a year? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know why that would be an issue. But the thing that the NCAA has always rested their laurels on or, or their justification on, they want college athletes to be treated differently than pro sport athletes. And I guess I kind of understand that, right? Because you don't want kids to grow up so fast. But, you know, then it's it's almost a farce at a certain point, Mike, because we have players like, you know, the late great Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, LeBron James, who went straight from the high school to the pros. And they're fine, right? Like, they, they, they were healthy with their funds. They made a lot of money. You know, then, you know, even best case scenario for just the world that we live in, a lot of guys are one and done players. They play one year in college and then they go to the pros. So what is the NCAA really protecting with their high level athletes? So... Yeah, I, I don't I don't really see the justification for that anymore. In the world that we live in, athletes are growing up so fast. They're already on social media. They're already kind of thrown to the wolves of the media and whatnot. It's not a world where I think we need to really protect our athletes. And I think that's, you know, what, what uh, at least I've been trying to harp on, that's essentially player empowerment making its way to college. If these guys want to make money and they can make money and, you know, like Tim Tebow, not the best example because he's not really in favor of this, but you know, he probably could have garnered $10 million a year. I think maybe I'm being conservative in the state of Florida when he was, you know, the God of Gainesville. By the way, we've said God now three times in this podcast. This is almost like when Dan was saying Damien over and over on that random. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Mike, uh, I guess I'll, I'll pass it to you. What, what do you think of your predictions here where, the, where this thing could go? I've been saying when the name of his likeness stuff started coming about, athletes were eventually going to get paid. It was going to happen. The only question was which way it was going to occur. And that's that's what we're talking about. The, right. different, the, the different angles that's coming out. Because then the NCAA said, okay, we can fight back. And they tried to make a federal bill. They they got on Congress's side to, to write a bill right. so, that, so they could take over the take the control over because if right. there was a federal they, bill. Federal government, Supreme Court, it's literally almost every way that they're getting hit from this. Right, exactly. And the reason that the NCAA went to Congress, because if they passed the bill, then that, that poo-pooed all of the state governments, whatever the state passed, because then that would be precedent. They would have to uh, adhere to federal bill. So, and, and you want to talk, to talk about Tim Tebow, you can go through the, the number of athletes that kind of went through, like I, the first person I thought of was Jimmer. Think about how much money Jimmer could have made going out of BYU. And the, the thing about, you talk about players going directly into the pros, that just doesn't happen. I mean, it could have happened for Zion, but there's these rules in place that the NCAA 
NCAA and I think pro pro sports kind of work together being like the, to make this one and done rule for football. There's, I think a three-year rule. You have to be in college for three years, right? Before you can three years go into from high school, not necessarily because you could be a sophomore redshirt player. Oh, right. Right. So the NCAA was, is acting as a minor league system for a lot of pro sports. Baseball is different because baseball actually has minor leagues. So why not go get four years education and then go into the minors? Cause you're going to have to do that anyway. That was a whole Billy Bean issue. If you've ever seen Moneyball going to college. Have I ever seen Moneyball? My, come on. I was like live tweeting Moneyball like a few <laughs> months ago, but go ahead. To me, this also hurts. It doesn't hurt pro pro sports but it kind of because i think you think about the nba they don't really have like the development league anymore the g league you know like there's you have what Lamelo did where he went to europe and then that's how he got his experience but that's only because he had a shoe because of his dad and he was violating NCAA rules and he couldn't play in college anymore so it all kind of circles around these arbitrary NCAA rules because they think, you know, what they say goes which fair if you want to play college sports you have to abide by the rules whatever but this is just an issue where it's always been kind of in the back of everyone's mind. Where it's like college athletes are going to get paid. It's going to happen. And and yeah, I, I think I think we're we're getting very close there. And just the pressure is building up now, and it's just going to happen. The only thing, Mike, I'll push back, and we'll move to the next one. I think there's a world which not enough people are talking about. If you were to pay college athletes, say a million dollars a year, however you're going to do it. Mr. One and Done might feel inclined to stay in college for four years, right? Like let him right. get paid. So in that, and there's a the scenario where you can have a better quality feeder system to the pros. So I, I think we don't have an incentive for college basketball players to stay four years. Which I guess college football players are more likely to stay to the senior, but you know we don't see it that often. So any event, you know, let's. I think it's. I, I just don't think we can assume that the players are going to leave for greener pastures quickly. It's always my only point there. Maybe maybe better. I can agree with that with Frank Kaminsky because Frank Kaminsky actually played all four years. And then he went in and he was decent, but now he's not great in the NBA. But if you had Zion say all four years at Duke, I think that hurts the NBA. They make way more money with Zion in the league than out of the league. I don't know. I don't know because let's put it this way. There were years where guys would stay four years, like Tim Duncan, right? He was a polished player when he came to the pros. He could dominate immediately. So I think the game, I mean, maybe it's we're somewhere in the middle because you could be Trey Young and come into the pros and, and be fine because the game, the college game is now just with shooting is, is getting close to the pros. But you have so many players flame out at the back of the first round that come out early and aren't prepared for, you know, I guess the money aspects and they just kind of fall off. So, I mean, I, I have no issue with it personally. But, you know, that, that said, let us, Mike, we'll transition to our, our third topic. So far, we've hit basketball, I guess with college sports, it's somewhere in the middle. And then we're going to turn to some baseball. So, Mike, I, I think, you know, uh, this is just me. So this is, Mike is not saying this. I think the Redskins in a vacuum, if you say that name, there is a derogatory concept of that name. And that's basically what the USPTO office said several years back when they removed the federal trademark protection on the word Redskins because they said it was so offensive in a vacuum. So that I get for Washington football team purposes. I get why there's so much controversy about that name. I get why South Park did an entire episode on it. And I get just saying the name Redskins is is offensive. Like I, I, I get that. Now, when we had this topic in July, I remember, you know, I, I went on a couple of radio shows and I was talking about it. The next teams that were in line was really anyone that had any Native, Native American, you know, imagery because it's, it's in the same vein. I don't know if they're as offensive or if they're offensive. I don't even want to say that they're offensive, but they're in the same vein. So the question was going to come up, be it the Kansas City Chiefs, the Atlanta Braves, you know, the Cleveland Indians was an obvious one. I know people were bringing up the Edmonton Eskimos, a little bit different, but but same concept. So Illinois so, fighting Illini. 
fighting Illini, right? It's just the imagery. So the, I had, you know, I posted, you know, now over the summer, but Kansas City Chiefs do a lot of, you know, I don't, there's nothing really wrong with the word Chiefs, right? But, but they do a lot of Native American imagery. It's a lot of cultural appropriation. Sometimes that's okay. And other times it's not. There's a fine line you have to cross. So the Indians, uh, they had Chief Wahoo as their logo for a long time. They've since removed it. They had a big C in their jersey. Chief Wahoo, speaking of Redskins, is an Indian with red skin. So I think here, what's happening with the Indians, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about with the news, but um, I think that the the association between Chief Wahoo and the Indians are really bringing them down because the Indians in a vacuum, the word Indians, I don't think anyone can have any, it's not an offensive term, like the Florida State Seminoles or the college football team of Florida State. It's an Indian type name, but it's, I don't know if it's that offensive. I don't know if the, there's an issue just having that in a vacuum. So essentially what we have here uh, this past week, the Cleveland Indians announced that they will not be playing, that the name change will come, that the this Cleveland Indians is, has an expiration date. So the names that have been thrown out, Cleveland Spiders, which I guess was a former Major League Baseball team and had the one of the worst winning percentages in all time, which I don't know why that would be implied, but um, I guess people are thinking about that for some reason. And the one uh, that I think is so appropriate for 2020, we had the Washington football team, Mike, and of course, the Cleveland baseball team uh, is is being brought up. So Mike, I turn it to you. What do you think about the the overall name change? What do you think about the the name, the names that there are being thrown out and maybe some potential trademark issues that you're seeing in it? It was an interesting point that you bring up about Chief Wahoo with the Redskins. I completely agree. I didn't really think about that. It was more the image. There was the fight before with the cartoonish character that was Chief Wahoo, and they thought that that was inappropriate and it was offensive. And a lot of it that comes, besides just the trademark issue and the name being offensive, you have fans that show up to stadiums in their full headdress, red face, whatever. There's there's a whole other issue with that. Of, I guess that would be cultural appropriation, to, to say the least. Now, with the Indians going to the Cleveland baseball team, I don't know. That's just, especially think about think about the minor leagues, right? If you think about minor league teams that have some wacky names and just crazy mascots, baseball is just known for different things. Football is more of a traditional, like, this is the team. This is so, you know, wrapped around the culture of this sport. So people, like, were upset about losing the Redskins. They're like, I've been a Redskins fan forever. And they they, they hold true to the name. I don't know. I don't know if that's the same with the Indians. I think they have more potential. I, Cleveland Spiders, that's weird. I don't, I don't like the Spiders aspect. But again, oh. that's a... I'll I'll say this. We we had a lot of fun. We did maybe three four episodes on Dan Snyder, the Washington football team. It's one of the dumbest names I've ever heard. Like it, it's just like let's come up with a bunch of names, and probably someone goes, oh, like what is like let's just look at Washington football team. I'm like let's just use that as a placeholder until we can think of like a real name for the season. Like I I can't believe that like we we go on our, my fantasy football site like it just says like football team like. It says football team 14 and whatever team seven. It's like you, you, your name is football team. Like you are just so lacking in any creative genes that you have football team. So we, we joke that, um, and I, I, we're doing it kind of in jest, the Cleveland baseball team. Um, I don't think they're going to do that because I don't think any ownership in, in sports is as inept to come up with, with such a horrendous name. But even right. if they wanted to come up with the Cleveland baseball team, they have found themselves in a situation with a potential, well, not even a potential, an actualized squatter. Somebody, somebody by the name of Georgia individual named Andrew Steen per Sportico applied for the trademark for Cleveland baseball team with intended use for entertainment, sports, and other services. Guess when he did it, Mike? This was right around the time we recorded our podcast uh, when the now infamous Martin McCauley of uh, Virginia had taken out about 50 marks over the course of like 
four years like a psycho for the Washington uh, Washington Redskins slash Washington football team. So people are, uh, well, Martin McCauley might go in the record books as, as some uh, a pioneer in this sports trademark space. He uses all of the trademarks in commerce in perfect. It's, it's crazy. I mean, as soon as that happened, when everybody was talking about, so I bet you if you go to Kansas City, there's probably a Kansas City football team squatter as well. Somebody that trademarked that as well. Maybe it's Andrew Steen. Maybe it's Martin McCauley. Maybe it's Mike Lawson, but keep going. So everybody saw the, the potential funny aspect of trademarking different names that could potentially happen for a lot of these Native American cult, like culture around some of the Indians, the Chiefs, whatever. The biggest thing is, this is necessary. I think they're going to have, they're going to come up with a, a team name. You're right. The, the Cleveland baseball team just sounds so silly. And so does the Washington football team. I mean, that's, what is this? Like England rugby? Like we are the, the Cheshire rugby club, you know, like that. Yeah. This is, this is so different. In, in a professional sports arena with trademarks and branding and things like that, they couldn't come up with anything. I think it's just, a little silly. So I, I think Cleveland will have something, whether it's, uh, was there a bunch? Was it Cleveland Spiders, Cleveland Buckeyes, if they're going to go with Ohio, but I don't think Ohio State would like that. I think there was Cleveland Guardians, Cleveland Defenders. There was a whole list of- I, I'm not sure why you're not referencing the one that we talked about. <sighs> like, are you are you embarrassed to say- The, the, the Cleveland Steamers. I, somebody, you can I saw say it. People are talking, people, Mike, people were talking about the Washington- Jeffrey Epstein's okay that was a name that people were actually having fun with the mind Dan Snyder apparently was connected with Jeffrey Epstein Alleg- and- hold on allegedly, allegedly. we're not where this podcast is not getting sued like the many people that that yeah <laughs> allegedly okay Mike let us uh transition to our fourth topic of the day so we've talked about James Harden we talked about college sports we talked about baseball and Cleveland Indians and now Mike we rarely, rarely get to talk about boxing. So a couple of weeks back, I know you and I were having a lot of fun with this uh, late at night on that, I think it was a Saturday, but the Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr. fight, everyone was all excited about that fight. And the undercard had a fight that uh, maybe is now more memorable now looking back. That's the Nate Robinson, Jake Paul fight. So Nate, Nate Robinson, I know very well. He was a New York Nick for many years, won the slam dunk contest. He's a complete character. And he was in a, what was that movie with Shaq? What was that movie? I'm going to forget. Oh, Uncle Drew. Uncle Drew. Uncle Drew. Drew. Uh, he was a character. It's Kyrie Irving. It's, it's Kyrie Irving. It's, yeah. it's Kyrie Irving's movie. So Nate Robinson, who was in uh, the Uncle Drew movie, he was a uh, he was Boots. He was like an old man. It was really cool. He gets KO'd from uh, Jake Paul, and people talk about that KO because the Tyson Roy Jones Jr. fight. It was a little, you know, the fix was in. They weren't going to hit each other in the face. All that fun stuff. So Jake Paul becomes the big winner from that debate. So we were all kind of speculating on who Jake Paul is going to fight next. And now people that maybe not don't know Jake, Jake is uh, famous from YouTube uh, fame. I think him and his brother uh, were a, a Vine fame before that. But Jake is really famous because his older brother, Logan, is famous. And Logan is also a boxer in his own right. Obviously, had a very limited amount of professional fights. But what Logan Paul did was kind of capitalize on the moment. So Logan Paul has a defeat. Who did he lose to, Mike? He lost to this guy, KSI. KSI. He's a British YouTuber. So when you lose to another YouTuber, like, what is that? Like, do you just have to like fade into oblivion? Like what's the punishment? Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, YouTube boxing is the newest thing. I mean, kind of, it's kind of, I'm kind of digging it right now. I'm kind of, well, here's the thing. Boxing, boxing definitely was on its way down. I mean, with Floyd going out, there's been a lot less coverage of boxing and rightfully so they've brought a lot of hype to it. YouTube is on a a pretty high trajectory right now. And you've got these, 20 something year old guys that are interested in training and they're not gonna lie 
I did not want Jake Paul to beat Nate Robinson. I was really hoping that Nate Robinson could go into that ring with a little bit more than just some street fight jump at him tactics. <laughs> but Jake Paul actually... It was a spark plug in there. He's kryptonite. I don't, I don't know. The, the biggest thing with, like, Logan and Jake have been training. They've been training for the last couple of years, and they look decent. I don't, I, I don't want to say they're good fighters, but they've been training, and... They, they know a little bit what they're doing in the ring. It makes it a little more exciting. Mike, and you brought this topic up, so I, I want to give you all the credit where, where it's due. The reason we bring this up, Logan Paul following the Jake Paul fight, right? And Jake Paul, you know, uh, sorry to Mike, Jake Paul was victorious. He got a KO. I think it was round two. Essentially, what we have is a situation where Jake Paul is now a very marketable man that can uh, sell a fight. Whether he's going to be the undercard or main card, he can sell a fight. So Mike Tyson is now going to have a rematch with uh, Vander Holyfield. They're going to have a lot of these fights in the in the near future. So Jake Paul is trying to figure out his next fight. Uh, we'll talk about this. He was trying to entice Conor McGregor. And all of a sudden, the other Paul brother, Logan Paul, with a loss to his name, lands the biggest fight that anybody could possibly imagine for a YouTuber with the best boxer of all time. If you just, I don't know, think, I'm, think I'm saying anything so controversial. And that's Floyd Mayweather. So Floyd Mayweather has agreed not, not a, when, when Nate fought Jake Paul, it was a real sanctioned professional boxing match. The Floyd-Logan fight is going to be an exhibition. So that's closer to what we saw with Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. So, Mike, let me, let me toss it to you uh, because this is the fun conversation you and I had offline. But we are in a world where the money is really insane for YouTube celebrity boxers. So I know you dug, dug into this a little bit. What are you hearing and what are you reading on the, the terms of the Floyd Mayweather fight? And then separately, what, what's being talked about for potential McGregor purse and what numbers are being floated out? I don't even know where this fight came out of. It, it, it was, I mean, you have Jake Paul getting all of this press coverage with what was going on with the Tyson fight and, and getting a lot of, I don't, I don't even know. I mean, I, I wasn't expecting Nate Robinson to win. So it's whatever. I think I was more excited to see Mike Tyson because I didn't grow up watching Mike Tyson. So that happens. And then all of a sudden we see that now come, I believe it's February 20th of 2021. Yeah. We have, we have Logan Paul fighting Floyd Mayweather. I don't, I, this blew my mind. But maybe so, Jake, maybe Jake, because Jake is now a big name. Logan, Logan Paul has not had that equivalent of a boxing match on, on that type of a card. You're correct. But here's, here's the thing we were just talking about, right? You asked about YouTube boxers fighting YouTube boxers. That's pretty much all it's been, right? These, these younger, inexperienced boxers just fighting for YouTube views. And then they started calling out actual fighters. They actually wanted to fight, you know, trained killers, if you will, that, that could do some serious damage to them. And Logan, I don't, there's a possibility that Jake Paul probably helped, but I think Logan has been marketing himself and trying to get into the actual boxing world. And he just took this route instead. But I wholeheartedly believe that he had already had contact with the Mayweather crew, his management, whatever, to try to set up some fight. I don't know if it's public. I saw it on social media. You're, you're talking about money. That's the biggest thing. I think up front, Floyd Mayweather is going to be guaranteed $5 million. And then he gets, I think, 50% of the pay-per-view. And then Logan Paul gets something like two hundred fifty dollars to 275000 up front. And he'll get 5% of the pay-per-view. So Logan's not in the, I mean, that's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. Like, that's money. But Logan's not necessarily doing it for the money, but he's definitely doing it for the, the fame, that the growth that he's going to have. But 
Logan comes in, he's got 22.6 million followers on YouTube. That's a lot. I mean, that's for YouTube. That's a, a really good amount. Logan got infamous from some negative things that he's done in his past, but he he's really taken to this boxing world and he's gone full force. You're right. Jake Paul definitely probably helped because Mayweather finally saw, he's like, oh, like a YouTube boxer actually can bring in views. And he's like, that happened with Tyson and I imagine Mayweather has a big ego. He's like, I can bring in more views than Tyson. So he's like, why don't I do it? And he's got what? nothing to lose. It's an exhibition. He's well, gonna, no, he's hold on, money. hold on. He's got a lot to lose, Mike. You and I were just talking about him as being the greatest boxer of all time. It doesn't matter, right, if it's an exhibition or not. If, if he loses to Logan Paul, right? And I, and I looked at the pictures. I mean, you just look at Jake and Nate Robinson. Jake is much bigger than Nate Robinson. So and obviously, neither of them are really like professional boxers, but whatever. You look at Logan next to Floyd, you know, Logan's much bigger. So, I mean, that's not not like unheard of, but obviously Floyd is the best boxer of all time. He's not going to get in the ring with someone like that. I I know you and I have joked, like there there was a a wrestling event, WWE event way back when, when the big show fought Floyd Medweather. So, you know, um, yeah. Big Show has actually got a decent Netflix show. I don't know if you've checked that out recently. I um, no, I have not. Uh, I'm a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the shows. Um, so you you did point out one thing which I, I did want to touch on. So you know, I guess the the long and short of the money. There's a lot of money being talked about, right? And uh, we didn't we didn't necessarily bring it up, but like there's 50 million potentially being on the table for Conor McGregor for this for this Jake Paul fight, uh, Logan Paul fight. You know, I, I, it's five million. I guess is the number that's that's being talked about upfront for Floyd. And then like six figures, like a $200,000 payment for, for Logan Paul. I mean, Mike, I, I first heard about Logan Paul when I, and I had never heard of him before. I mean, I understood YouTubers were a thing. The man took a video of a dead body in the suicide forest. Like that's not just like a, you know, like an infamous, like this is someone that in the recent history of, of YouTube was like a complete, like untouchable he would lost all of his sponsorships. There were followers. Parents weren't allowing people to watch Logan Paul. And I remember he, I'm like, oh, he's got a brother. It's interesting. Jake Paul, I guess, like, well, that's the end. We heard of Logan Paul. His career's over. So he goes from that on the edge of relevance, right? Like being relevant for the wrong reasons to now he's fighting Floyd Mayweather. And mind you, Mike, he's fighting Floyd Mayweather because his brother beat Nate Robinson, who was an absolute nobody and has never had a professional boxing match in his life. The, the roller coaster of Logan Paul's career will go down in history. And these guys are now just like rolling in the cash for these great, crazy fights. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm on the one hand, you know, shocked and appalled. On the other hand, I'm just really impressed that they just conjured up this market out of nowhere. And they've been, I've, I've knew that they were in the boxing space for a number of years. And now all of a sudden, this is where you want to be in the celebrity boxing arena. I remember years ago, like Dustin Diamond Screech, like fought someone on celebrity boxing from Saved by the Bell. And he got like his... Yeah. Yeah, I think Tanya Harding was on the show. Like that was just a joke show for like right. you know, for a one-time deal, which made no money. This is like a legitimate event. So I don't know. I mean, I, I give my hat off to the the entrepreneurs behind uh, behind what they're doing. No, you're you're definitely right. And Logan has you're right has an incredible roller coaster of what what's happening. And I, I know that you're a Logan Paul fan, so I'm sorry I had to bring that up. I know he's like your idol in life, but I feel like I had to tell our listeners his his real story. No, complete, completely opposite. You were just listening to his podcast, Mike. So I mean, like, only, only because I wanted to see what he only for research. Only for research. That's right. I am research based. No, I, I have to push back about the Jake. The only reason Floyd did it 
was because of Jake Paul. I think it helps, but I'm not I'm not 100% sold on that. But you're right. It, Logan Paul has gone through, I don't even know, up and down more than anybody, but they're bringing in money. They're bringing in money, and, and that's what Floyd wants. Well, it's Floyd Money Mayweather. That's, that's, you put a check in front of him, which brings me to what's happening with Conor McGregor. Jake Paul is calling out Conor McGregor in a very Conor McGregor-esque way, right? When McGregor was fighting Khabib, he, he went after his wife. I think he called his wife a towel. He like commented on a picture of their like marriage and in their culture, the, the wife's face could not be shown. And McGregor was like, bro, your wife's a towel. Like McGregor went after his father, his family, his religion. McGregor does this too. McGregor's the villain of the UFC. So Jake Paul in a very McGregor-esque way, posts a video, smoking a cigar, drinking whiskey, with an Irish flag draped around him, calls on McGregor. That's got to get McGregor's attention. And then he's got a $50 million check sitting next to his Lamborghini. Like, <laughs> I don't know how much more, mind you, Conor McGregor also just bought a Lamborghini yacht. The Lamborghini just made like a certain number of yachts and Conor McGregor bought one. So like- Un- Unbeknownst, McGregor, I've never heard of that. McGregor knows a good Lamborghini. Uh, so uh, <laughs> regardless, I. $50 million. I don't know where this money is coming from. You're talking about marketing, like the, the, what these, what the Paul brothers are doing. And I only watched impulsive, which is a pretty big podcast. They get a good number, a good amount of views. But this was only uh, the first time you've ever listened to it. Okay. Go first ahead. First time I've ever listened to it. Besides Not clips true. of random okay, guests. Dave Barton. Okay. Dave Barton. <laughs> Continue. So, so, Logan was saying to Jake, like, you can't fight Conor McGregor because he'll actually kill you. Like he's a legitimate, like, killer that like if he sees you in the street he'll kill you but then he's turning around and he's fighting Mayweather who's the greatest boxer of all time and you're right Logan is I think 6'2 200 and and Mayweather is 5'8 maybe 150 but Mayweather's a defensive boxer so he won't even allow Logan to touch him if if he has his way I mean that's exactly what happened with McGregor McGregor had a, a much greater reach in that fight and he held his own a little bit but McGregor couldn't do anything really because He's not the best boxer of all time. But now Jake is taunting McGregor. He only follows McGregor's fiance on Instagram. Then he goes after Dylan Dennis, throwing water balloons and toilet paper, who's another UFC fighter who's kind of in, in lines with McGregor. You know, cuts an Adam, takes a screenshot of the toilet paper, hitting him in the face, posting it as his picture on Instagram, and then following Dylan Dennis's girlfriend. So now he's... Can we just like, because I, I don't want to, I want to like make sure people understand like the hilarity in this. And, you know, for everyone that, that follows, you know, Mike and I on the, Mike, obviously, we should mention runs the kind of detrimental account. We have a lot of fun with wrestling stuff. What Jake Paul is doing is ultimate heel wrestling maneuvers. He's, yeah. and I just want to, I want to point out, because Mike and I were talking about this last night. Like, if you go to Logan or Jake Paul's Instagram account, he's following two people, right? Mike, and tell me if I'm wrong. He's following Dylan Dennis. And Dylan Dennis's girlfriend. No, Dylan Dennis's girlfriend and Conor McGregor's fiance. Okay, so he's following. He's following Dylan Dennis's girlfriend and Conor McGregor's fiance. And his picture is no longer himself. It is a picture of Dylan Dennis getting hit in the face with toilet paper that he was throwing in the barrel. Am I? Do I have all that right? That's correct. Yes. This is ultimate heel maneuver. And guess what? Guess what's sitting at the edge of this? Conor McGregor, who separately, and we've talked about why, why Conor's a big heel, Conor is the ultimate promoter, and not so long ago, 
Connor was promoting this ultimate fight, the crossover between two worlds, Floyd Mayweather versus Connor McGregor, which I watched. I bought the pay-per-view, which I never do. And it was, it was a spectacle. I don't really know if it was a good fight. Mayweather let him hang around for a little bit, but you know, those guys made a ton, a ton of money. And that's Connor's real world at this point. He hasn't really gone full force back into the UFC because he's kind of said to himself, Hey, I can make boxing money, which for no apparent reason is much more than UFC money. I don't know. It's an interesting world that, that, that we've fallen into, Mike. Uh, well, just the one thing, as, as we currently sit, we, like you said, it's Wednesday, December 16th. McGregor has not responded. McGregor has not said anything. The only person that has responded is Dana White, who, quote unquote, owns McGregor, right? He, he makes the fights for UFC. He, he's the one who has to approve everything. And he said there's zero chance. He said this before, and he said it again. There's zero chance that Jake Paul fights Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor is about to fight Dustin Poirier coming, I don't know exactly the date. So he, he's got other fights that he's worried about. But it's very interesting. And, and you bring up the, the Mayweather fight that McGregor did, but you got to think about Khabib. Remember when he threw the chair at Khabib's bus and he, like, whatever, cracked the window or the ladder or whatever he threw? You know, like I said, Jake Paul is doing exactly it was like a what. Dolly. It was like a little. Uh, yeah. 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 So if you, if you want to talk about marketing, you might think that this is stupid, which it looks very stupid. It's exactly what McGregor has done in the past. So it, it's very funny. And, and I think Jake has, he's got the views. He's got 20 million followers on, on YouTube as well. He's got the people that are behind him that he, he can get enough people behind this. I, it, it, basically, it was just kind of a, here's everything balls in your court, Dana White and Conor McGregor, but Dana White's not that. Also, mind you, just a little tidbit. He also called Dana White, the Alaskan bullworm, which if you're a SpongeBob fan, I think that's hilarious. The Alaskan bullworm. I'm going to have to look that up. You know, you got me. I know who Pinhead Larry is and I know who uh, Miss Puff is, but the Alaskan bullworm. If you are listening to this right now, let's just look up Dana White, Alaskan bullworm. You'll have a lot of fun. He does look like the Alaskan bullworm. Oh, <laughs> okay then. Okay then. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> on that note, I think that's a, a good place to end that, that fourth topic. There's a obviously a lot of good material in there, and uh, we 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 go into depth on the Paul Brothers topic. As obviously, Mike and I are insinuating that this is not the last you're going to hear of celebrity boxing. Uh, and I I gather there have been very little notes, legal scholarship written on the the legal and the negotiation tactics behind celebrity boxing, and maybe. You know, maybe there's some ethical issues, too, whether you can have an exhibition fight. I know I placed money on the uh, the Tyson Roy Jones Jr. fight, which was I never I didn't mention on the podcast, but I had uh, bet on who will bleed first, which I thought was an interesting prop to bet on. And that bet was actually canceled. Canceled means it was nullified because it came out that that was an exhibition. I guess one of the stipulations was that they were not going to fight as hard. So interesting. Just uh, something to, to be mindful of, especially as sports betting continues to get uh, legalization across the country. OK, so fifth topic, Mike. I think this uh, was near and dear to, is near and dear to Dan's heart. So maybe we'll do a follow-up next week on the extent there's something new that comes up. Mark Messier was my sports hero. Uh, that was the first memories I had as a, uh, as a young six-year-old back in 1994 when the Rangers won the cup. Mark Messier was the captain of that team, played for the Edmonton Oilers for a number of years, won some Stanley Cups there, came to New York, guaranteed a victory for the, uh, the New Jersey Devils. They went to the Stanley Cup, they beat the Vancouver Canucks. So Mark Messier is born in Canada. He's a Canadian hockey player. Um, but he's, he's really a legend in New York. So where this kind of comes to a head, Mark Messier has now filed a lawsuit in New York State Court with a very famous firm uh, that everyone you know, that's in law school have heard of. That's Paul Weiss. He is suing an individual named Ed Moraz, suing him individually because of his capacity uh, as the CEO 
of an Alberta cannabis company called Destiny Bioscience. So here's, here's the gist of the lawsuit. Messier is from uh, Canada, and he made this deal essentially that he was going to pay $500,000 into this cannabis company, be their spokesperson. And what this guy, Ed Moraz, I guess, did behind the scenes, he used Messier. He said, hey, Messier is associated with our product. And the guy was able to raise millions behind the scenes. So Messier is claiming in this new complaint filed it's for breach of contract. It's for breach of the implied uh, covenant of good faith. But essentially, he's saying that this guy, Miraz, made a personal guarantee to him that regardless of how the company did, that he was at least going to get back his $500,000 investment. I think he said the greater of $750,000 uh, or the share of stocks in the company. So if the share of stocks in the company went to $5 million, he'd get either $5 million or he'd get $750,000 in the, whatever the greater of the two was. Problem is, the company is now worth zero, right? They're uh, what's called a receivership. There's apparently bankruptcy. They're on the verge of, of some, let's say some chapter 11 type things, whatever the equivalent is in Canada. So Messier is basically suing and said, hey, I don't really care what this company is doing. There's no corporate veil that we're worried about here. I don't need to show fraud. I don't need to show you know self-dealing. You have a personal guarantee. I don't need to go through any of those hoops. All I need to show for purposes of a personal guarantee, which you learn in contract law, is consideration. And here's the consideration. Here's the receipt. I gave you $500,000. That's the consideration. And you used it, that consideration, to get all this other money sponsorships that come in. So yeah, I, I'm going to turn it to you. There's some fun stuff, obviously, in the complaint, which I'm happy to uh, you know to share. It's, uh, it's publicly available online. But uh, where Messier is the most, uh, one of the most prominent celebrities in all of New York. And his stature as a international hockey superstar obviously brought in a lot of money for the company. So Mike, let me, let me toss it to you. What are your thoughts overall on this lawsuit and uh, Messier's chances of success from as far as, uh, as we've seen? I just want to start off with probably the best subtweet I saw in this whole situation, which is just three words. What a mess. I think that just sums it up like completely. I think it's hilarious. Great pun. But what a what a messier, right? How could this get what a messier, right? How could exactly. This get, how about this, Mike? How could this get any messier? If you want to, if you, yeah. So, yeah, he's Messier is a very uh, brazen guy. He he considers himself to be one of the greatest hockey players of all time. He he's got the he's got the hardware to back it up. He's got six Stanley Cups. I mean, he he's definitely one of the one of the best. Rangers of all time. I'd have to hear Dan Wallach's take on this, but but yeah, you go through and he, you read that this complaint. You know, it's a lot of guarantees that he was not going to lose money or that he was at least going to get the investment that he had back. And he was signed up and and Messi, I think, said he was supposed to be their goodwill ambassador and he was to, was going to be you know helping grow the business and build relationships with potential partners of this, this Destiny Corporation here. And I think they had a lot of investment backing. I, I, I didn't see the final numbers of it, but it was upwards of $30 million. I think he, they, they had a lot of investment backing to start. And Messier was given the personal guarantee that he wouldn't lose money after I think his own holding company, Marlion USA, bought 400,000 shares of Destiny at like a buck 25 a piece. And he said, you're not going to lose, at least you're not going to lose the money that you put in. And, and again, another personal guarantee that he had that just fell through. Messier basically said that this guy Morose represented the investment was a sure thing and that Messier couldn't lose any money on it. It was, you know, when I was reading this, I was thinking of like Michael Scott in the office, like it, it's, it's the best thing, you know, and, the, and it's the scene where Jim, 
he's trying to do a, 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 a Ponzi scheme, pyramid scheme, and, and he draws it. You know, that was what I was thinking of. Just a side note. He draws, I know the episode. He draws it. Yeah, he draws it. He goes like, these guys at the bottom this of the guy, top guys. Yeah. Right, right. Good this idea. guy got me and him, and then we have to get three guys, you know, and then he, Jim draws the, the triangle. So it, it seems like there's just a, a lot of personal guarantees and a lot of, I, I think mess, there's a quote I wanted, I wanted to say. Uh, that that Messier had that was pretty good. Messier goes, destiny was not a sure thing, quite the opposite. It was a worthless company propped up by nothing more than Moroz's grandiose promises. I, I think that that sums it up pretty well. Uh, it's interesting and it's interesting around Messier's image and just who he is. And then I think it's just funny that this is also a cannabis company. I think they went uh, in May of 2020, they, they were $42 million in debt. So problematic so I, I guess two twofold you know and this is this is kind of where the, the big you know messier and, and uh we should probably mention messier who has never people that maybe are too young to know the name it's spelled m-e-s-s-i-e-r so that's me and mike joking about what a mess and being messier so you know just uh on that sense if you're from new york and you don't know the spelling of mark messier maybe you ain't from new york but <laughs> yeah so i, I think I think what we should just, the, the bigger takeaways, right? We're going to have another world, and I'm sure in the, in the years to come, as the podcast is, is going, which I, I, I feel I have a feeling we'll, we'll be hanging around then. I think the world of cannabis and sports is going to be have, have even further intersections. So the question that is fair to ask are whether this is going to maybe um, disincentivize athletes from getting involved in cannabis companies. So uh, on that level, right, this, uh, I, I can't think so, right? For years, with, whether it's been cannabis, whether it's been a car wash, whether it's been any number of schemes, players have invested their millions. Uh, and there's a documentary on ESPN, a great 30 for 30 called Broke. Players invest in all sorts of things. Usually it's not retired players. Usually it's young players that don't really know what to do with their money, but they're going to go broke in any number of facets. So do I think that Messier looks any dumber for investing in a weed company? No. Do I think Messier looks any dumber for investing in a company that went broke? No. If you want to know why, and this is the second part of the question, Messier got a personal guarantee from the CEO of the company, which is not that typical. You know, if you're going to be really smart, you know, if you're if you're Ed Moraz, and uh, I should mention, we just have a complaint at this point. We don't have any answer. You know, um, I think it was filed on November 18th. So must have been some some type of extension of time to answer or else they would have taken a default, but nothing has been filed. But, you know, normally for, for anyone that's taken uh, corporations, you, know, you have to take it for the bar. So you, everyone kind of understands this. If you were a company, there's something called the corporate form. So let's say Mike and I created conduct, conduct or Mike, you know, Mike and I created Conduct Detrimental Inc. And we signed a, some type of deal with Mark Messier to be the spokesperson for Conduct Detrimental. Mark, if you're listening, you can make this happen. Okay. And you can have a personal guarantee for me. It's totally fine. But, you know, if anything went wrong with the company and some deal fell through, Mark could sue Conduct Detrimental Inc., but we would be shielded by the corporate form. So unless he could really show that there was some type of fraud involved or some type of self-dealing or some type of us abusing the corporate form solely for its defense of the corporate, of this something called the corporate veil, you're not going to get around that. Now, what, what Messier did in the situation was basically go to the CEO, listen, this is a hypothetical conversation, but he said, listen, I'm, I'm pretty well versed. You know, I'm studying for the New York bar exam. You know, people say I'm the most famous hockey player in New York history. I'm going to be the most famous lawyer in New York state history. I know corporation law. And I know the corporate form. So I want you to send me a personal guarantee. So if I sue you, I don't have to jump through those hoops. You're just going to have to owe me that five, 500 grand, 700 grand, whatever it is. So this personal guarantee, I think if anything, Mike, it's going to be a lesson for CEOs of fledgling companies. You know, if you want to pay the guy 500 grand to be your sponsor, that's fine. But to ask Mark Messier to pay 500,000 and to be your sponsor, if it goes wrong, it's going to go really wrong because people are going to side with Mark Messier, especially in a forum like New York. We spent so much time on this podcast talking about the Kobe Bryant litigation. 
where you know Kobe was suing or Kobe's wife was suing in uh, Los Angeles Superior Court. Mark Messier suing in New York State Court is like it's not home court advantage, right? It's home ice advantage, right? And we're we're in New York. I know it's snowing by me uh, over here. Do you get snow up by you upstate? No, I'm in Albany right now. Yeah, it's it's snowing here. Yeah, I I think this is a lawsuit where Messier is designed to win. He's got maybe the most famous firm in New York City with Paul Weiss. So um, setting up pretty well for Messier. Do you see any any shot that Mraz has of defending this one? So far, just on its face, it's uh, it definitely looks good for Messier. I mean, side note about piercing the corporate veil for any law students who haven't taken business associations or tax, I think they get into it in like tax one or tax two. Piercing the corporate veil is very confusing and there's a lot of hoops to jump through. So the fact that Messier has this where he has literally nothing, he just basically steps out onto the ice and checks Miraz right into the boards. Like I, I don't see, I don't see anything else happening here it's interesting so if um you know I, I, we'll keep an eye on them it's, it's going to be one i know dan's going to want to bring up the next podcast so that said uh we'll, we'll put a we'll put this one in the books i will want to i do want to give a quick shout out we had some news this week we didn't cover it i want to save it for dan next week uh dan uh for those og uh listeners of conduct defense prior to me joining the show dan spent a lot of time talking about uh the nfl benefits in the cba an issue where nfl players retired players were getting kind of screwed over by the new cba so, well, I'm not going to bury the lead, but there was a very big announcement this week, which I, I think Dan can get a little bit of credit for for shedding a light on. The, the NFL essentially agreed to uh, push back any type of detriment uh, for benefits that were supposed to be owed to older NFL players. And for my law firm, uh, we got a couple of calls this week from different NFL players uh, trying to see uh, how they could take advantage of, of this change in the law, this change in stance of the, of the CBA. So that said, Mike, pleasure having you on. I'm sure, uh, you know, if this was like, if we, had, if we actually lived near each other, we could do like an around the horn type deal. Like we could just have people buzzing around. But Mike, excellent job. Uh, excellent job passing the bar, number one. Excellent job on the podcast. I don't know, Mike, you have anything to say to, to people who are uh, out there that passed the bar? Yeah, and big congrats to everybody who, who took the bar. Um, you know, for those who found out they didn't pass, you know, this was such an unprecedented time that it was so difficult. I, I mean, I, I was so nervous after I took it as well. It, it's it's a difficult test and a lot of people don't pass the first time and you're, you're just going to double down and you will pass the second time. So again, big congrats. And, and there's it's only up from here. I, 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 that's what I should say. Finally, I know we didn't talk about this as being a topic, but you know, in the past couple of months, we've started to get a Nice uptake in listeners. We're uh, up to a, a couple hundred that we get per episode now. So we, we love to hear it. We love the feedback that we get on, on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and elsewhere. I know a, a couple people dropped me notes to say that we were in their top 10 listens on Spotify. The one thing that we, uh, you know, I, I'd love if we could get more of just to, it would help continue to grow the podcast or reviews on iTunes. We got one uh, a couple weeks back when I wanted to shout out. Again, I have no idea who this is. Hot Natalie. I don't know if this person's name is actually Natalie, but really love the feedback we're getting. So um, Hot Natalie writes, love the angles and discussions. Even if you were not into sport or legal stuff around it, listening to this podcast will make your day. You get smart ideas, unique points of view, a better understanding of hot subjects that everyone's talking about. See, Hot Natalie, she knows what hot subjects are about. She's just knows. So yeah, we'd, we'd love, in addition to telling us on DMs, and, I, and I, you, guys, you guys know I love hearing and I always respond to everything. It'd be great to get that also just on the uh, the iTunes uh, reviews. And we're happy to shout it out. If you have a cool name like Hot Natalie, I'm happy to shout it out. Yeah, Mike, anything to add before we wrap this up? Definitely DM the podcast account too, because I am I am on it all the time. I get notifications. You want a response back? 
I'll sign off. As always, myself, Dan Lust. I'm on Twitter, Instagram at Sports Law Lust. Dan Wallach will be rejoining us next week at Wallach Legal Mike. So my handle is Mike underscore son of underscore law. Just a little play on words because my last name is Lawson. And the, the podcast is at Con Detrimental. For Mike, myself, Dan, we will uh, see you next week, team. And maybe Mike will have a new Instagram handle, maybe uh, at Mike Lawson ESQ because he's now a lawyer. Uh, and we will see you next week, guys, on another episode of Conduct Detrimental. See you then.